Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next installment in the Dogs Podcast. We are currently in Wichita, Kansas, at a Best Western. We always stay at Best Westerns because <laughs> they seem to be the most dog friendly. For the most part, we do encounter some that, that aren't, but anyways. And that's not a plug for Best Western. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it that way. There's some good ones. There's some medium ones, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and we just finished up our first workshop in Texas, in Addison, uh, hosted by DogFit Dallas. And it was delightful. Yeah. Very delightful. Such a great group of participants and then a great group of auditors some of which came from all over the country mm-hmm. and yeah it was just so delightful to share time meet new people meet art and ann and uh carla mm-hmm. uh, whose space we used um yeah and if you're listening to this and you were at the the workshop thank you for being there it was a pleasure to meet you yeah and also just want to express like our whenever Cole and I sit down to record a podcast, we're both very, very excited to just share our heart, our thoughts, and our perspective on a multitude of different things. And for everyone who's listened to one or some or all of the podcasts, we greatly appreciate you and uh, the support. Yeah, and just sharing time with with us, yeah. listening to us, having yeah. us in your ear. It's nice because you and I have these conversations. We've been having these conversations for like 10 years mm-hmm. since we've been working together. And it's what's been enjoyable is that we we'll have a conversation or like for this podcast, we've been having a few conversations over the last two weeks and it's gotten to the point where we're, we're like, let's just sit down and record this mm-hmm. and get this out to people. Whereas before it would take, I feel like it would take, uh, it would just be a slower process to get the information out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody would have to ask us a question Yeah, or, We need to think about how to word that on Instagram so Mm -hmm. that it came across well. So, yeah, so the podcast is just a – it's a really enjoyable process and and avenue to to share things with you all and share share time with you. So we we appreciate you all. So this podcast is going to be kind of jumping all over the place. And we're still very excited about it. <laughs> potentially. <laughs> but what do you mean potentially? Potentially it may be jumping around. It may just it may it may just We we may blow. link it the all the <laughs> very different topics together nicely. We'll we'll see. So this past weekend and at the workshop and pretty much at every single workshop <clears throat> to date. There will be there will be a dog in the workshop where I will ask to handle it. And I always ask, 
is your dog friendly? And a lot of people will say yes. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite happens. Right. Or at the beginning of the workshop, we like to ask, go around to all the participants and have them introduce themselves themselves and say why they're at the workshop and then also express some gratitude or appreciation that they have about their dog that they've got with them. Mm-hmm. What's nice is sometimes people either use dogs that we give them or dogs that aren't theirs. Mm-hmm. Like Beth in the, this most recent workshop yeah. was handled um, by somebody completely new to her. Yeah, she was a like a rescue in a, yeah. in a foster home, I think. And it's nice to just see how the people feel appreciation so quickly for a dog they've never met. Totally. Um, it's always a beautiful thing. Uh, but so people go around and they express this and that. And in this past workshop and in, as I mentioned, in many others, most others, people will say that, oh, my dog's like good. They're good. And they kind of, they're just a good dog. Yeah. They're jolly. They're friendly. We're just here to learn, learn something new and build more connection. Yeah. But they're, they're good. Yeah. And so we move on and a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes I end up handling those dogs Mm -hmm. that have had that expressed about them. Mm -hmm. And usually it's, it can be kind of a little bit of a shit show. (laughs) And I always joke around with those people and I'm like, well, I thought you said this is (laughs) is a good old dog. You know, no issues and no nothing. And they're like, wow, I didn't know that was inside of them. Or I've never seen them do this. I've never mm-hmm. seen them do that. And what why, what might be coming out is, like, you're not doing anything crazy with these dogs. I'm just, Some, I'm sometimes, li- sometimes you're just taking them away from the human. Yes. And that's all of a sudden, this good dog has separation anxiety. Or you're you know, uh, positioning the nose band with them mm-hmm. or just trying to move with them in a, in a circle. Mm-hmm. It's on, not on like the nose band or just on the slip lead. Yeah. It's yeah. not like you're asking for these really complicated, stressful things. You're mm-hmm. pretty quiet. You're pretty respectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it still elicits. Yeah. It, that's the cool thing about it is that right. I'm not doing anything really. Right. And you just see this complete shift in the dog and, Usually the people are kind of flabbergasted and taken mm-hmm. aback. <clears throat> or maybe all of them kind of have stage fright when they're introducing themselves. Maybe, yeah. Maybe <laughs> so they're... they all just are like, eh, my dog's a good dog. Right. And move on to the next person. <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. I think that and feel that these people genuinely feel like they have a good dog. Yeah. Which is such an interesting topic. Yeah. Because, and in this this past workshop, I was talking to these folks who who had these two dogs and <clears throat> I was talking to them and I'm like, well, I thought you I thought you said this is a good dog. And then I proceed and I'm like, well what I guess what kind of good dog do you have? 
because we believe all dogs are good. But then in my mind, at like the pinnacle of a good dog for me, like what I would categorize as a good dog is more along the lines of a very well well behaved and finished dog. Right. I consider like a good dog to be a finished dog, which is not very common. So I kind of shrug off when people say it's a good dog. I'm right. like, I don't I really don't know what I'm going to find out. <laughs> we'll see. And sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes there's been dogs that show up and people are like, my dog's just really good. And I'm like, okay, we'll see. And then it turns out to be that case, you know, yeah. they have little things here and there. They're not finished per se, but they're, they're very well evolved. They're, they're yeah. pretty far along. Yeah. But this, this question is like, what kind of a good dog do you have? Because some people are like, my dog is good. I've got a good dog, but they, they eat, they like to eat people. <laughs> That's my, it's. It's the best when, or it's common to hear, my dog is so good, but I love my dog. They're such a good dog. Or even they're talking in past tense. That was the best dog I ever had. They were perfection, all these things, but, and then they go into the other behaviors. Yeah. I mean, even my aunt, we were eating dinner with her and she was describing this dog that I never met. And she just kept going on and on about this dog. And I'm like, wow. And how like, amazing they were. Like uh, epic this dog was. Yeah. And then a while into the conversation and listening to stories and this and that, I asked questions, kind of more specific questions. I don't really remember what, but then she's like, oh, yeah, no, we couldn't do that. Yeah. like or, if, oh, no. If, if, so- if if I a didn't cat even, jumped into the backyard, oh goodness! Or if if some I didn't lock my doors because if someone entered my house, that was that was it. That was it, yeah. right? And so it's just interesting the scale at which people will say they have so much love for a dog mm-hmm. that it almost I don't want to say overshadows the behaviors, but to a degree it does. Yeah. Unless they put themselves in situations where they then feel those behaviors. Like if she wanted to have friends over or if she wanted to get a cat. Yes. Then she might be feeling those other Then she might behaviors. be like, well, my, the dog was amazing, but, and then the but would come out. Right. A lot of times the but doesn't come out. It's just this immense flow of love and appreciation Mm -hmm. for the dog but even if the butt comes out i feel like people it's just a Mm non-issue it's because like you're saying the love way trumps anything that the dog could do Mm -hmm. against that Mm -hmm. love so even if the butt comes out it doesn't matter to them Mm -hmm. it's like yeah i wanted to eat dogs whatever it was still the best dog i ever had right or if people came over, that the dog need to be kept in a room, right? Or who knows what, right? Um, it's but just it's just interesting 
at the workshops though hearing that and then getting to experience on the other end of the leash what is going on mm-hmm. and the the contradictoriness of that you right. know where it's like yeah this is a good dog but like dang they really want to eat me or right dang, they, they can't even move away from you because they're so attached to you. Right. Um, I think, and I want to go back a little bit because I liked your point that you were making about people maybe having dogs but not pushing them to a place that is uncomfortable, testing those. Um, testing whether they're a good dog. Test or just quote unquote maybe wanting being a very social person and wanting people into your house and having parties and wanting your dog to be a part of it, but you have a reactive dog, that might change how you feel about the good dog because they're kind of, their behavior's in the way of your pure quote unquote enjoyment or like this person, this hypothetical person with this dog with separation anxiety Maybe they don't ever want the dog to leave their side, and so that's not a non-issue. But if you do have to have the dog leave your side, then you're seeing that other part of them right. that might feel differently. Right. And I've, I guess I haven't really thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like testing it. Yeah. And with these, with these two dogs, and one in particular... It is, it's a dog that they don't necessarily, they're not going to necessarily take out into public and socialize it and, and whatnot. But what we were, what I was talking about with them and, and the participants and the auditors was for us, because our standard of quote unquote what a good dog is is where it is that standard is where it is when we get a dog we poke at everything mm-hmm. we test them so much and if we find a sticky point or a point where they push back or where they're uncomfortable then we help them work through that so it's a, a thing of the past mm-hmm so, uh, like, dogs are just such remarkable and beautiful creatures. Um, they're amazing. And you could say that all dogs are good dogs. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's like, what kind of good dog do you have? Right. Do you have a, a good dog that wants to kill cats? Do you have a good dog that wants to eat people? Do you have a good dog that whines a lot? Do you have a good dog that barks? Mm-hmm. Or do you have a good dog that is finished and has is liberated to a degree? <laughs> right. 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 And when you were working with those dogs too, I remember, because I didn't get my hands on them, um, like my hands on the lead with them, you worked with them. So I didn't get to feel them. But I remember you mentioning that you were like, yeah, they weren't, the way they felt, it wasn't horrific. It wasn't like other dogs that you felt. Oh, yeah. No, they were 
it wouldn't take too much to help get them to a very good, respectful, less fearful place. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, there is some truth in what they're saying, like you're saying. Absolutely. There is, you know, there's goodness in every single dog. Every single person has goodness. Yeah. It's just to what degree. What's cool about how we work is that you get to feel that degree. Yes. Like you got your hands on that lead and in yourself, you were probably like, I know, I know exactly where this dog sits on the spectrum because of how they feel in my hand. Yes. Because of how they respond to what I'm asking, how hard their feelings are, the yes. way that they react to their feelings or to you, which is just so cool. It is cool. Yeah, having having worked with dogs the way that we have for for so many years and and getting our hands on so many leashes attached to so many different kinds of personalities and behaviors and feeling that you I've definitely built a, a spectrum mm-hmm. you know of of where dogs lie as mm-hmm. soon as I feel them mm-hmm. And again, we're not asking them to do very challenging things initially, which is so cool because it's so simple up front, but dogs can right off the bat have such thick and big consuming thoughts of their own. Mm -hmm. Most likely fear related. Mm -hmm. So what I do like about um, back to your aunt for a minute when we apologies stitches um on some fabric that's noisy sitting on the couch yes Um, but when we left your aunt we didn't leave that situation judging her or thinking oh you know she didn't have a good dog rah 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 you were like how beautiful that there can be a dog that has behaviors and it can be with a person that holds such deep love for them. Yeah. Even I, with those behaviors. Yeah. I mean, the the love was so far reaching that yeah. for 10 minutes, all she talked about, and she probably wouldn't have even brought those things up had I not asked. Right. So it's just it's just a human being reflecting on a relationship, yeah, and, and just having love and appreciation, you know. So. And the dog had, I think, been gone, had died like many years ago too. Yeah, and there was still that like profound connection, mm-hmm. you know, relationship that she had with him, and just how wonderful it is that that can be. I mean, it's the same way with people too. Like we can love people so deeply and yeah. we have stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's not, it, that's why we're saying like, what kind of good dog do you have? Because they're all good dogs. Right. If you see that, then you get to see that. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Right. So. Yeah. It's just, it's lovely. I think another thing that was that's been kind of coming up along these lines with us is 
And we mentioned this in, I think when we were talking with Nick, we were talking about dogs that just, and people or relationships, but let's say dogs that just come out good. And they're just pretty accepting, trusting, quote unquote, more balanced dogs Mm -hmm. naturally. And they just enter someone's life like that. And they're not needing behavioral changes or a lot of guidance or teaching. They're Mm -hmm. just good, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, good. And then how there are other ones that have things that they need help working through. Mm -hmm. And... You know, that's our, I mean, that's when we step in, I feel. That's our job. That's what we do is we work with dogs that are in both places, but also, but in that place of development in behaviors. And what we like to do is take a dog that has behaviors and um, qualities and help them learn to release them and maneuver life and move towards that dog that's just born naturally good, Mm -hmm. but bringing dogs that are more troubled to that place. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing because it's not the dog's choice to do that. Mm. It's, It's always the human. And... I guess when you think about it from this standpoint, juxtaposing this, like what it is you just said and what we do over the people who just get dogs and love them for Mm -hmm. who they are. Mm -hmm. Those are very contrasting, right? Because you have... In one sense, you have one person who just has this overwhelming sense of appreciation for their dog, <laughs> but it's got that kind dot, of dot. no matter what. <laughs> and then you get other people who have appreciation for their dog, but they want to help them grow. Mm-hmm. Very interesting mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it's it's very similar because that where that appreciation could be the same. Yeah. It could could. be the same. It could. Sometimes behavior can be a barrier for people because there's frustration in that. Mm -hmm. There's maybe some resentment, Mm -hmm. maybe some claustrophobia. Yeah, absolutely. Because of behaviors and limitations that that might cause a person to have in life. Well, then it, yeah, because there's a little bit of a gap there. Right. There's a gap in the relationship. And, you know, desires on the human's end don't line up. The dog doesn't line up with those. Right. And that's where that that kind of conflict is or that gap in that appreciation, that kind of unbounded appreciation Mm -hmm. to a degree. Yeah, it's like you're fogging the lens or something. There's just something in between in between mm-hmm. a little bit more more so yeah there's a gap and like i guess when it comes to tools 
this is it's a conversation that I was having the other night with a friend that we'll probably elaborate on a little bit more on a podcast um, in more detail, maybe not. This person uses, has used, and, and I guess they still kind of use e-collars and maybe some food. And also on occasion will recommend medication. And we were talking and they were mentioning how they just, they had been working with this dog for years. And it's a little bit of a a mismatch in terms of the relationship with the human and the dog. Uh, Not a little bit, kind of a lot. Mm. And some progress has been made, but not not a, not a ton. The the needle hasn't really been moved a lot. Um, using a multitude of of different things. You mean like the breed is too challenging for the person? This particular or? dog is challenging for that person. Okay. And so this this friend was recommending some medication, and since then the relationship has has gotten a little bit better. The dog is more easily manageable. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it just kind of clicked for me thinking about it in this way where I'm like, wow, yeah, medication, e-collars, food, toys, these things allow the human to catch up to the dog. It allows their skill to catch up to where the dog is at. To what the dog needs. And what the dog needs. Mm. It slows them down. It scales. It allows the human to scale up mm. so that the human can then manage them. Like meet the dog where they're at. Exactly. Mm. Because there's a gap there. And I'd never thought about it that way. I had thought about it. I kind of heard it similarly put in the horse world. I don't know if it was Buck or maybe I read it in Ray or Tom's book. But that just it just kind of hit me. And I see value in those things more value in those things now to a degree hmm. coming at it from that perspective the where i where it gets a little tricky for me is i have a lot of respect for those tools more respect now um not that i didn't have a lot but i see more value in them and and seeing people recommend them and this and that but the tricky thing with that is, is that if the human doesn't do the work mm-hmm. to close that gap, utilize those tools in such a way that they close the gap and then they know how to manage the dog without those things, that is where it gets a little tricky for me because then the dog has to live its whole life with an e-collar on. It has to live its whole life with medication. Mm. It has to live its life, blah, blah, blah. And so if the human does the work, 
then that's great because then there's there's unity there. Do you mean like they do the work? Let's say it's an e-collar. They do the work until they no longer need an e-collar. Exactly. Or and they do the work until they no longer need the medication. Yes. Or the treats or whatever. Exactly. Okay. So yeah. it, it just those tools can allow the human to catch up to them, but they have to do the work to catch up to the dog. And they don't have to. But what do you think is happening if they don't in the dog's perspective? Well, I mean, I would imagine that the dogs in the in the the example of medication, the dog's just walking around dull. Mm -hmm. like drugged up mm -hmm. and their existence is skewed oh. they don't know why they just wake up and they eat some food and then their whole consciousness and the way they see the world shifts mm -hmm. like i mean it's got to be a little strange for them mm -hmm. <laughs> you know right but, yeah, I'm just trying to but think they, of... But they, it's not a conscious thing on their part. Like yeah. Humans get to consciously take medication. Right. Dogs are just being drugged and they don't understand it. Right. There's or not a conscious decision we can't explain to them. Now, I'm going to give you your drugs now. Right. You know, and this is what's going to happen because we know what's going to happen. Right. If we have a headache and we take a Tylenol, we know that it's going to help. Right. So... Anyways, that that's just it was an interesting conversation. Again, probably something we'll elaborate on a little bit more as it sits with as I sit with it or and we talk about it a little bit more, but Yeah. But it was it was more that gap, like closing that gap, which was very fascinating to me. Because when you and I've we've used e callers, mm -hmm. we've used prong callers, we dabbled in food. And there's a multitude of different reasons why we don't use those things. We don't have a problem with other people using them. But for me, personally, I like to feel the dog. Mm -hmm. I like to feel them mm -hmm. and what they've got going on. That can be very intense for people. We talked about this in Angela's podcast. Mm -hmm. Sitting in those feelings and handling dogs like that is that can be very intense. It can be very moving and stirring, embarrassing, frustrating. All of these things that are not such an awesome Triggering. thing. Exactly. <laughs> that not such an awesome thing to a relationship. Right. But for me, that is so raw. It's so raw. It's so intimate. And there's not anything in between me and that dog. Right. There's not anything overshadowing that. And, and I just, I talked to somebody on the phone the other night and they were, they were recommended medication for their dog and they're going to be attending the workshop in a, in a few weeks in California. And they were like, should we go on this recommendation or should we wait for the workshop? And mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to tell you to not do it if that's what you want to do. Right. But I expressed 
my desire to feel what they've got going on to the fullest extent so that I can guide them through that. Because if I don't know, then I may give them something that's not going to be as efficient, Mm -hmm. you know, or we're just not dealing with the, the rawness of it. Right. So it's going to be skewed a little bit. So, What's interesting, when I think about us when we were using e-collars, because I feel like that was the main one out of all of it, and we mm-hmm. didn't even use it. We used it on like maybe maybe 5% of the dogs mm-hmm. that came into our care. Mm-hmm. Like half of those were also human recommended. Like the yes. companion, human companion was like, can you build this into my dog? Yeah. And I remember there's still being gaps. Like you're talking about filling that gap and catching up to the dog. Yeah. I remember the dogs we worked with on e-collars still having stuff. Yeah, which is why we did away with that. And right. we, we so, kept moving on. I mean, I wasn't a part of this conversation, so I'm also kind of processing it. Yeah. Um, but you talk about filling the gap, and I agree, like, and catching up to the dog and where they're at. But it also doesn't feel like it does that all the way. Well, so in the conversation, like we were talking about, if you want a dog to be off leash, right, then you can get that with an e-collar, right. But it's not going to be reliable, right, unless you fill the gap, right. Because if it's not, if you don't fill the gap, then you're going to have to be reliant on the e-collar, which means if it fails, then there goes your dog. Right. Right. Or blah, blah, blah. Right. So that's, it's just kind of more of, a, more of like, yes, I see your point of there's gaps, but then we were talking about specific behavior, specific things. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. I guess, yeah. But for us, because our life was so different, we saw the gaps. So we were like, this isn't going to, e-collar is not the be all end all. Like I'm, we can't do our day with what it is that we had built with Oregon Tales. Right, and our standards. Exactly. Yeah. So, but for somebody else who just yeah, wants an off leash dog, then they're, they're not going to necessarily see the gap. Right. And if they get 95%, that's probably amazing. Right. Something. And so if they've got a 5% chance of something yeah. going wrong, they'll probably take that. Whereas yeah, for you and I, to, we were like 5%. Mm, I don't yeah. Know. We don't, we don't want to take like any that, risks like with, <laughs> with other people's dogs. So Right. Or with our dogs. Yeah. But coming back to this feeling thing, and so we've we've worked with the callers and and whatnot, and and oddly enough, I've actually been poked at for how we used to use e callers by people who use e callers, and some some of the bigger names in the industry. Um, me having a conversation with them, and and them being shocked that we use vibrate with all the dogs mm. and that's what we use to build in recall for right. people 
And they're like, wow, why wouldn't you use like the low, low stim, like right, one or two or three? Because vibrate can be more jarring. intense for some dogs and low and, stim. And our thought process with it was that if a dog was that shaken by vibrate, right. that they were way too sensitive, way too sensitive. And so we'd help them work through that. But the one, the biggest reason why I wanted to get dogs quote unquote finished in our e-collar work with vibrate was because there was no ability to scale. Mm. And so we had to get them to a a good place, a really good place to where they respected and felt vibrate in all of dot, dot, dot situations without the ability to scale. And that to me was the biggest thing because for me, the, there's a big disconnect in feeling when you're using an e-collar and you have the ability to scale mm-hmm. or even food mm-hmm. because people scale with food. Yeah. The disconnect there is that you don't feel it. You can just push a button and and hit a dog with 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. And that's it. It's so it, it's so disconnected emotionally. Yeah. It's so disconnected. Um, probably physically too. Because there's probably physical space and the a- loose leash. Absolutely. Yeah. Or if the dog's off leash. Or if the dog's off leash, yeah, totally. And so that to me, or even with food, where it's like there's a disconnect because if this food doesn't work, then you go to the next one, you go to the next one, you get to the the, the hot dog or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. But for us, that's there's a disconnect in feeling there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say like, oh, e-collars are not a shortcut or food's not a shortcut. And, you know, that's all obviously going to be subjective Mm -hmm. but for me it is a shortcut to a degree because you're not feeling the dog you can just push a button Mm -hmm. and of course there's work that goes into getting a dog on a a very punctual and responsive on a low stim uh approach you know and I'm not saying that it's not possible to get a dog to a very amazing place on an e-collar. Right. But when you can just push a button and scale and shut a behavior down, well, that's, some people would call that efficient. I call it a shortcut. Mm-hmm. That being said, a lot of people want shortcuts with their dogs. Oh, yeah. They just, they want, they get a dog, they want to send it off to a board and train for a week to a month Mm -hmm. and then get on a trail. Well. And to each their own. Yeah, That's just not how we choose to work with dogs and those are the people that we choose to not work with. There's plenty of other trainers who are totally fine with that setup. Totally. And like good for them. Totally. That's just not how, how we work. It's one thing to do that, but it's 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 a much different thing to work with dogs in the way that we do instead of hitting a button with 80 or 50 or 60, knowing what that feels like. Knowing what like 
an 80 behavior in your dog feels like. On leash. On leash. Yes. And learning how to manage that and bring that dog to a better place of harmony and trust rather than just pushing a button or rather than uh, using food. And for us, that's been the most fulfilling to us. It's challenging, definitely, because it tests your ability to maintain your empathy, mm-hmm. maintain your yourself, yourself <laughs> in those situations, which not a lot of people can do. It's much easier to just hit a button. It's much easier to just use food in a particular situation. Like detach. Feeling comes up, detach. Well, there's a gap. Right. There's a gap there. Right. Because when you've got those tools, those are the things, There's that's the energy. You talk about this where you're like, what is between, what is the energy in between me and the dog? Yes. And the energy in between the person and the dog or filling the gap in between the person and the dog is... The energy in the e-collar yes. or is the energy in the I food. I mean, think about how much energy goes into creating a hot dog. Think about that. All of the grass, the transportation, getting the animal to the slaughterhouse, slaughtering the animal, and all of the energy in that process, the energy of the human being who's doing the slaughtering, the processing of the machinery and then transporting that and the packaging, <laughs> like the, the right. packaging, if the, it comes yeah. in plastic packaging, then there's petroleum involved in that. Mm-hmm. And the harvesting and drilling and mining of the petroleum and the people who do that and then the refining of the petroleum, that is a lot of energy. Right. Or an e-collar. Going into a hot dog. <laughs> Or, just or go, like just going into a hot or, dog, or you know, if you know, the we're, feeling, we're, we're the, vegetarians, so you know, yeah. like you could also do that with like a sweet potato dog treat. You could walk uh, down the same yes, path, exactly. But like that's just where my mind has gone over the years. With it. it's like, where is the energy? Mm-hmm. What's the energy in between? Or an e-collar, all of the plastic and the petroleum that's in that, and har- and mining of the metals. And the the person who manufactures it and the mm-hmm. shipping of that and mm-hmm. the marketing of it and the marketing of the hot dog mm-hmm. and the mark it's insane when you think about the amount of energy. But then when you're just using the lead, it's just you and that dog. Mm-hmm. Like when you think about it from that standpoint, that is insane how much you how much energy is being shared. Mm-hmm. And how much energy the food has, mm-hmm. how much energy the e-collar has, or the plastic toy. Like it's, anyways. Well, you and I, I mean, you and I go into like the energy of, or like the consciousness within all of those processes too. Like this might go other over people's heads, but we drink Chinese tea. And you can look it up. It's like a Chinese tea ceremony, but tea originated in China. Gung Fu. Gung Fu. And they have 
a huge history, a huge industry behind it. And a lot of what happens in drinking tea is the energy within the tea. Different teas have different energy. Which and, is which they call chi. Yeah. And when you sit for tea with some people, some people go about it through like taste and aroma and body and all of that, kind of like with wine. Some other people go through the process, like with my teacher, of what is the energy that went into that tea? What, what were the farmers feeling? How happy were the farmers? How true and passionate are they in their work? And then how you can feel that and drink that in the tea and how that's a process of it. And a more refined, let's say, quote unquote, practice, you can feel that more. Right. Like almost like a, a master tea harvester because right. they're going to know everything about the plant and how to pick the leaves, mm -hmm. how to roll them and roast them properly so but, that it gives the human the best feeling and taste and aroma and so on and so forth. It's also how they feel about their work. Yes, right. And you will taste that in the tea. Mm -hmm. You'll taste the difference between tea that's been made in generations, like by a family in a certain part of China, you can taste the difference by a high, um, large manufacturing company right. that's making tea. And it can be the same thing with any collar, any, anything, 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 anything. anything. Like whether it's meat <laughs> being raised or soybeans and people, making tofu. Like it just, like people what's, do that the, with what's, their... what's the heart behind it? What's the intention behind it? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's such a, that's a, a good point to and make because it's very prevalent. People do that with their food too, looking for organic food, looking for farmer's markets yeah enjoying that process like local that local meat local meat that is finding that connection right and eating something or consuming something that has that energy coming from behind it rather yes rather than just industrialize this or yeah. industrialize because, that where there's less connection yeah there's people can feel that less intention people yeah. can feel that in what they're eating and i guess what we're saying is that we can feel that in Dogs. In dog tools. Dog handling. Dog handling. Yeah. yeah. Where it's what you're saying, it's um we got a dreaming dog. <laughs> yeah, it's stitches laying here on the couch dreaming. Yeah. Doing like big breaths. Yeah, it's the it's the energy behind behind it. Yeah. That is what is in the gap. Between the dog and the person. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And when you remove that and it's just you and the dog, that's it. I, I, I understand why people gravitate towards those tools because learning how to manage your own self and then not only in those situations, but then not only that how to manage what you're feeling from the dog and and guiding them to a good place mm -hmm. not coming over the top of them like there's just such a sweet spot there uh, to find more harmony and build a relationship 
of harmony and trust and not deteriorate or send mm -hmm. that dog to a worse place, right? It's very... Or just kind of hold it steady where it's at. Yeah. I think what can be challenging for people is, like you're saying with this example of this woman and dog that aren't matched for each other, I think what can be challenging is is that relationship that is unmatched or that is mismatched where maybe it's a person that doesn't enjoy being outside very much and they've got a high drive dog that maybe needs a lot. Yeah. And that's just like, that's just kind of the human being greedy. That's, that's the human being greedy and wanting like putting themselves first, mm. basically, you know, and to a degree, the humans who are, and again, this is subjective and maybe I'll step on some people's toes, but hopefully you know that it's not <clears throat> in a judgmental way because we, there's all possibilities in life. You get to live your life how you want to. And we respect that, greatly respect that. But we do have our own thoughts and whatever. Um, but even people who use this or that tool, it's to close that gap. It's to, it's to do something that they want to do in life. Whether that's a, they adopt a dog that they want to get out on trails as quickly as possible. And so then they use an e-collar and they get that dog out on trails as quickly as possible. But the, the gap, the other gaps that they are maybe missing, right? Mm -hmm. Or what the dog feels when they are hit with an 80, mm -hmm. they know that that sensation is a possibility so therefore they know uh it, it's almost like is the juice worth the worth the squeeze mm -hmm. and if it's not then they'll respect the e-collar mm -hmm. right but with that they're like they, they know it exists they know that 80 on an e-collar exists they know that 100 on an e-collar exists mm -hmm. um and this isn't all dog trainers um or dog, or dog, human companions. Yeah, like there it, are a lot of people that are so deeply devoted to their dogs and getting them out and giving yeah. them what they need. And I mean, we've met a ton of them. Yeah, and they use e cars, and it's like, cool, great. It's just it, good for you. Do you? Yeah. You do you? <laughs> like, so it, anyways, but it's it's always the human human desire it's the human's desire yeah. that propels the relationship with the dog um or the humans uh interpretation of the dog mm. like for us it's just a blanket statement when i see fear i want to help remove that right that's it like that is how we work with dogs that is the be all end all for us it's not that i want to get a dog to a good place 
because I want to go do this. Right. Or I want to get a dog to a better place so I can do this. It's that I want to help a dog remove fear, period. So that they feel for better. their physiology so that they feel better. Yeah. It's not that it's not coming from anywhere else. It's it's but, yeah, it's coming from a giving place instead of maybe a taking place. Or just a desire place. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just a desire place. Um, so that's where it comes from with us. But for a lot of other people, they just, they want their dog to perform this task because for whatever reason that makes the human feel good. Right. Teaching them tricks or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff just doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. It's just more... I want liberty with the dog and liberty without the necessity for tools and liberty from fear. Right. So for the dog, for the dog and yeah. for, and for me, because I like to move through life without fear and just move through life with trust. Yeah. And so if I have a dog in my proximity that is consumed with fear or I'm attached to a dog with fear, I'm like, well, that's not something that I really move around with. <laughs> that you want influence in you. And if you have that, then I'm going to help you work through that because that's not what I move through life with. Right. So, and I guess you could say that that's selfish on my part. Yeah. Um, that I don't want fear to be a part of my existence. So totally. I, guess, I guess I'm selfish too. Totally. <laughs> Just in a different way. <laughs> Well, I think that I think that it's not only something that we encounter. I think that it's something that other handlers or dog trainers encounter as well is trying to fill that gap for people. Mm, is yes. is like Yes. Okay, yep. I have this dog. I go to my trainer. And the trainer might say, how much do you walk it? And they're like, I don't know, an hour. And the trainer recommends two or three hours mm -hmm. of activity, maybe not just physical activity, but engagement, attention. Mm -hmm. And the person says, well, I can't do that. I got work, I got this, I got that, I got kids. Mm -hmm. I wanna work out, I wanna this, whatever. And then the trainer goes to filling that gap because that's what yeah. they're paid to do yes is fill the gap and they might go want to go about it a certain way where they initially might think let's try to make this a more holistic relationship mm -hmm. and then that might fall short mm -hmm. and then they look for other ways to get there mm -hmm. to yeah. help the person get there yeah or yeah i mean or they're doing a board and train like this happens very frequently people ask us, well, how do you manage people? And how do you manage, um, <clears throat> you know, people not doing the work and this mm. and that. And I, it stops with the dog and it stops with the human. It stops, it stops in between us and that other human. We give everything 
all of our knowledge, all of our direction, all of our support and everything, but that stops at 50% of the conversation or the energy flow. And then they have to come and meet us. The other person. We don't go over into their space, if that concept kind of makes sense. If you're standing in front of your client, halfway between is your energy part and then the other half in between is their energy part. We don't go into their court, you could say. Mm. We just do everything. We offer everything. We give everything, but then they have to do the work. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And we don't try to fill that gap for them. We used to, and that didn't feel good to us. What feels good to us is to stay on our side of the court and give people the tools to handle their dogs in this way of pure, raw feeling without those other tools to fill the gap. And because there's so many other trainers that do that, and so right. if somebody comes to us and they say, I want dot, 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 or do you do boarding trains? And we say no, and we push them to other people. We push people to a, a friend of ours who does great e-collar work. Um, and we, boarding we, trains. And boarding trains. But we just don't do that. We don't, yeah, we're the, we're the other option. Yeah. People that don't want to go that route, then yeah, that's, the, they come to us. People who want to learn how to fill that gap without any tools. Mm-hmm. And that's just what's felt the best to us. And that's kind of the people that we are attracting is people who don't want to use the tools that the majority of the people use because there's so many people that do that and they probably do it well. There's lots of people who don't do it well. Um, and there are probably just, a lot of people that get success and the person yeah. gets what they want out of that situation. <clears throat> exactly. I think that what you mentioned is you're saying there were parts of it that didn't feel good when we went over to the other side. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just like we're doing, we're trying to do the work for the person. We're trying to do the work for the person, but we're also not focusing on the dog anymore yes we're we're focusing on what the human wants and not what the dog can necessarily handle at that point in time which is again why to a degree it's a shortcut because if you use an e-collar on a dog yes you can maybe get them to do one specific thing which is be off leash with with the human but then what about all the other stuff which is contributing to them not being able to be off leash without that e-collar? So there's a lot of different things that are missing in the relationship. And so for us, that's, yeah, we put the dog first, not what the human wants. It's not coming from what the human desires, more or less. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big shift. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we, we, like the dog's ready to be off leash when they're ready to be off leash. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're ready to socialize when they're ready to socialize. Yeah. Um, that definitely was a big shift. And we do, we talk with trainers about this who do board and trains. And it's, it's interesting because 
I feel like maybe this is a lot of what they feel. They want to do this, do it this way, mm-hmm. but then they accept that money. Mm-hmm. Usually it's kind of a lot of money, like <laughs> <clears throat> thousands of dollars. There's the pressure. And then there's that pressure mm-hmm. to give the human what they want. Because they're paying for what they want. Yes. Yeah. And they need to deliver. Yeah. And so they maybe put lots more pressure on the dog. They're speeding things up in that four-week period of time or six-week period of time or two-week period of time to get the dog to where the human paid them to get their dog. Yeah. And again, that's not how we train dogs. If you watch the, the Horse Whisperer, the movie, in that Robert Redford, um, I think the little girl in it asks him, like, when, when will the horse be ready? And Redford said, whenever the horse is ready. Yeah. And that kind of always stuck with me. And this is that. Yeah. How we work with dogs is that way, you know, and we're not just, it's again, like I like to say, it's not all just sunshine and rainbows. So how we work with dogs, we're just like, oh, you know, can we go left? And the dog wants to go right. And we're like, okay, we'll go right. <laughs> right. That, that's, that's not exactly how we work with dogs. Yeah. There's pushing, there's, there's a desire and there's asks for us to do certain things with dogs. We ask things of dogs but how we go about asking them and then our response to what we get is very different yeah from a lot of dog trainers um but it's in this way that we work with dogs it's like we're not going to do what the human wants over what the dog is capable of yeah or what the dog needs or what the dog needs, which of course is going to be subjective. Total every. So, but we but we just we don't do board and trains because we're not doing it for the dog. Or However, sorry, we're not doing it for the human. We're just doing it to enjoy. If we did do a board and train, I feel like it would. And we've done something similar with some foster dogs in the past, where we've given some time frames. And the way we go about it is, I don't know where this dog is going to be yeah. in a month. Yeah. I have no guarantees. I can't guarantee you a solid recall. I can't guarantee you anything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work my butt off giving yeah. every part of myself that I can to this dog. Yeah. And when we've done that, it's been, they're like eight hour days every day. Yeah. It's they're not like fifteen minute sessions, two hour sessions. We're giving so much to these dogs. Usually because they're they're pretty, they're very challenging. They're cases troubled. on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, and we have there are two of us, so we can trade back and forth and get a lot of work done, yeah. which is very helpful. Yeah. But we're not. I don't think we would ever say. No, it's going to be open ended. What we would deliver. Yeah. But when we have done that, which was just very rare. And usually for rescues, rescue dogs, there's quite a bit of growth on the other end. Yeah, most definitely. And the stress on our end is removed. Exactly. We're not pressured to get somewhere. We're going to give and so, it. Yeah, so the dog's not feeling our pressure and we're not, exactly. you know, they're not feeling us. 
We're not, yeah. We're not going over the top. We're not, yeah. yeah. Overcompensating or whatever. Right, right. We're getting frustrated when they're not getting there and our time's running out. Yeah. That, I can I mean, only I can't, imagine yeah. what that feels like. I can't imagine that. Yeah, I can only imagine. That would be very challenging. And yeah. it, it feels that way when we do talk to people that do board and trains. Yeah, they're that very it, stressed. It can be very challenging for people yeah. to manage. Mm-hmm. The especially, expectations, yeah. Especially if you have multiple dogs coming through. Mm-hmm. That would be tough. Well, and so our whole goal is for the dog. Like they're, we're in this for enjoyment and we do things for the dog, not humans. And we've spoken with trainers over the years who all they do is board and trains with gnarly cases. Mm. That's all they do. They just like have a rotation of that. And they don't necessarily see those through to a level of enjoyment in the dog. One thing that's beautiful about the pack is that we will take on a hard case and then we get them to enjoyment. And like so we get we, the fulfillment. We get the fulfillment and they get the fulfillment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we've spoken with dog trainers over the years who all they see is that rotation of mm-hmm. hardcore dog after hardcore dog after hardcore dog. That's what their existence is. Mm-hmm. And so they look at what we do and they're like, whoa, that looks so rewarding and fulfilling and enjoyable and they enjoy working with dogs but they've kind of lost the enjoyment because all they see is just the beginning Mm, and hardness and intensity of working with hardcore dog after hardcore dog after hardcore dog yeah which also we empathize with because if i put myself in that dog trainer's shoes that we were talking with i'm like yeah that's really intense yeah it's very intense intense. we know what that feels like we know what it's like to live and breathe that level of intensity and it's it it can it can influence you yeah, for sure. Totally. So we empathize with with folks who are in that position. Um, so totally. So want to jump back actually to elaborate a little bit more on a topic from a previous podcast, the one with Angela about humbling dogs. And I talk about this quite a bit in workshops, but we get brought like quite a few salty and sour dogs, spicy dogs. And when I look at them, or even like feral dogs for that matter, uh, which could be sour, I don't know. I haven't really (laughs) defined salty and sour, Uh, but you get the idea. When I see those kinds of dogs, what I see is just a dog that's had a lot of practice thinking about 
fear and thinking about their reactivity and feeling their reactivity and feeling their fear without something interjecting into that. And something that I do talk about is like work ethic mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> and humbling dogs. And we talked a little bit about that in the, in the Angela podcast. But for me, humbling a dog is having that dog wake up day after day and working pretty hard at certain things, things that they can execute, but it's challenging for them. Mm -hmm. And things that they can execute, but it's challenging for them. And also building a relationship and a good foundation in life mm -hmm. of trust and appreciation. Mm -hmm. But in that process, that dog waking up and almost being like, well, let's just say it's day four or five or something. <clears throat> that dog, when they open their eyeballs in the morning, their attention's not going to immediately go to their anxiety or immediately go to their fear or immediately go to um, reactivity or anger, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's going to go to, whoa, I have a lot of work to do maybe today mm -hmm. again. And that's when we've made a breakthrough. That's when the dog becomes softer, when they have a little bit of a yield in them, when they have something in them that has been unlocked other than just waking up and having an insane amount of energy or waking up and having an insane amount of fear or reactivity or fight or flight or whatever. And that's what I mean by humbling a dog. That's what I mean by, that's what we mean by that work ethic is that it, they're not so consumed by these things that have been consuming them. There's this other thing and that's called work. And us. And us. Connection, mm -hmm. which are two things that most dogs who are sour and salty and spicy, they don't have. And we've found that time and time and time again over the years. What I like as an image in my head is it's a story. So you and I are driving back from Pack. We're driving back from the ranch into Portland, dropping off dogs in the afternoon. And at the time we were driving the truck. So we had dogs in the back of the pickup truck, like where the canopy is. And then we had Stitch and two new dogs in the front with us. The two new dogs were there because they needed support. One of them was feral and couldn't be left alone. And the other one was still new and she would bark in the vehicle, which is something that we help them overcome. And we're driving and you're driving. I'm sitting there looking back. And it's been a full pack day. It's been like a nine to five for them. And Stitch is just totally passed out. I think his head is like in the crack between the door and the <laughs> yeah. seat, just like gone. And then the dog that had been coming out for maybe a month or two, she's 
think she's sitting. No, she's laying down, but she's kind of nodding off, you know. And then this new dog, this feral dog, I think it was his second pack day. And he was just wired. On one. On, And it was the end of the day. Yeah. And he was looking at this. He was looking at that. He was needing all the support, standing up, sitting down, trying to get on the yeah. um, on the back seat, on the ground. And he's all over the place. And you're just bumping and I'm him. Just, and I bump, have him bump, on the bump, lead. Bump, yeah, bump, bump, communicating. Bump, to be like, dude, just, just, <laughs> just be, chill. Be just still. chill. Yeah. And as the days went on, he got more chill. Yeah. And more chill to the point where he's on the back seat. Yeah. Sleeping with the other three dogs. Yeah. And it's that level of, of peace mm-hmm. that it brings them like into their body. The work that they went through in the day, which is work, but it's also just like the best time ever. Right. It's so fun. And so fun, but also so not fun to a degree sometimes because we're out there and it's 32 degrees and we're soaked to the bone. Totally. But those are moments when you're going more moving through life in the elements and you have those really gnarly days where you're being tested, your grit's being tested it's you're you're miserable for and a the while dogs are <laughs> a lot of the dogs are miserable or they're just wet they're and cold and or a lot of them are just jolly and they really don't care yeah. <laughs> they are just like the bernie's mountain yeah, dogs. Mo- they most of our less. pack at this point they don't notice yeah we don't have any dogs hiding or you know oh i don't want to No, but like that. new ones new ones exactly. newish ones yeah they're like eh I could be dry right now. Right. Because they don't necessarily have that work ethic. But it's cool to see with like that image because I remember you and I looking at that dog and then two weeks later he's sleeping. Right. And Yeah, it's a good thinking good story. he's finally in his body. Mm-hmm. Like he's finally coming down off of all this like stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And he's able to feel what he just went through, which was a full day. Right. And that's kind of what you're describing is they're <clears throat> able to feel their day mm-hmm. and what they're going through. And not be always consumed by the fear. Yeah. Or whatever consumes their physiology yeah. that inspires them to be salty or feral or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And it's also the consistency of it because they might come out like this dog. I think it was his first or second day. And he's probably like, yeah, whatever that happened once. Mm -hmm. But when it happens a couple of times every week, all of a sudden it's a routine and they're getting that consistent feeling Mm -hmm. like you're saying where it's day after day or for the pack members it's a couple of times a week but even with a couple of times a week we see it right with these dogs yeah just two 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 days a week two days a week two sometimes three days a week right and it's kind of it's all it's all of the things like you're saying it's this worth work ethic that the dogs that spend good time with us have it's also us being completely present with them, mm-hmm. helping them over their fears, the fear actually leaving their body. Right. It's not that we're masking it with this tiredness, like we've said before. It's that the fear is actually leaving them. 
Right. And it's being filled with other things, us being one of the things, but then also like enjoyment, mm-hmm. their personality. Yeah. It's not, it's not, I mean, we do get some dogs that come into this life and they only have 10%, let's say, of things to work on and then they're just golden. Right. So we get some of those dogs. A lot of the dogs that we're working with have like 80 or 90% things that they need to work on right? in their physiology. So they're not born, they're not coming out of their dogs, the, the womb, just a good dog. Right. We, we get some of those, but usually when we get one of those, we've also accepted a dog that's challenging because we like to be working yeah. and helping dogs overcome their fears. Yeah. So the, the days working with those dogs, I think that that is, we see the potency in the work ethic with those dogs that come into life with a lot of stuff that need to, needs to happen before they find harmony. Mm-hmm. And that to us, we've... I like to say no one works dogs as much as we do or as hard as we do, but also I don't know that people connect with dogs as much as we do as well in this way that we work with dogs. Mm-hmm. And through that process that we build that work ethic. Yeah. Because there's so much, there's so, there's such a desire to help the dog overcome fear and to find harmony to its fullest extent that along that process that it it instills grit into the dog it instills that work ethic into the dog mm-hmm. which is extremely beautiful to witness I think it's kind of like having a job that you love. It doesn't feel like work. Mm. Like you, if you love your job, the money is the bonus. Right. Because you love your work so much. And it kind of feels like that, that, I mean, I'm not in the minds of dogs, so I can't say what their experience is, but I could assume or think that it's, it's giving them. I I think I know where you're going with that. And it's, I feel like it takes some process to get there though, because some dogs have very strong ties to how they've acted and responded in life and so that can take some serious work totally and work on our end but also in this example talking about work ethic and asking a lot of dogs of things that they can they can execute of course and also doing it in such a way that you're building a relationship and more trust but they can hold on to what they've, what served them up to now. Right. 
that process can be pretty challenging because as we know, as a lot of people know, change can be very challenging yeah, and scary. A holding holding on to habits, even though we know they don't serve us. Right. Even though we know they don't serve us, letting go of them yeah. can be one of the hardest things. Exactly. So that process can be very challenging, but- when you help a dog through that, then the work becomes no longer work. Yeah. It just becomes enjoyment. Yeah. Which is why I feel like with our pack, sorry, stitches, <laughs> nesting, which is why I feel like when you work with dogs the way that we do, you can ask them to work on an instant, on a moment's notice for pretty much however long you want Mm -hmm. and then stop and they're right there connecting with you yeah and there's not a sour feeling between the two of you because you're not asking thing something out of the ordinary or terrible or terrible that 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 doesn't feel good right you're asking yeah you're asking something that feels it's just a dance right and communication back and forth that that flows effortlessly Mm -hmm. um and feels good yeah but that's kind of what i wanted to add it add about work ethic for dogs because i just feel like a lot of the behaviors that we see dogs just have too much time to think about that and coagulate in that right Instead of waking up and having the thought, man, I might have a really tough day today. Right. It might be really cold outside. <laughs> it might be really cold. It might be really hot. I might, John might ask me to, to bend and walk sideways for quite a while. Or I might have to socialize with something that is uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Or be around or be, or a be bunch ar- of things yeah. that are uncomfortable with me. Even though some, nothing bad has happened, right. I'm still uncomfortable. Even though they might, it, what they're uncomfortable of might be the car. Right. You know, something yeah. just. But it's, it's really kind of a helping the dog lean into their fear in a healthy way that builds connection. And in such a way that that inspires the dog to think about work mm-hmm. and think about connection as opposed to think about their fears and then act on those on a mm-hmm. consistent basis. What I like what you say about this sometimes is because we're so intentional. If you've worked with us, you know, we're so intentional about if something comes up always being there for the dog and how magical that can feel for them. Like you'll say, you're like, you'll say, um, it's almost like we have a superpower. Mm -hmm. If fear comes up in the dog, then we dissolve it. And they're like, wow, the hell did you do that? Yeah. You become of something of, immense value almost like a magician yeah 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 because because whatever pops up we're right there to get rid of it yeah and when if it's not serving them and when you do the what the eyeballs that they look at you with 
right is just priceless right absolutely priceless when you when a dog reacts in a certain way and then you act in a certain way and in response them. to that and then help them through that and the connection that you get afterward it's it's like they're looking at you like you're a magician. <laughs> right. That's that's what you say. <laughs> like, how did you do that? Right. Can you imagine having, like, any time you had a feeling that wasn't super life-supporting for you, there was someone somebody, right there to just, like, help it come out of you? That would be amazing. Wouldn't that be crazy? That be we so don't really have that as humans. No, I mean, no. That would be nice. Yeah. If anyone listening... <laughs> does that knows how to do that <laughs> contact us please <laughs> that sounds great maybe we'll have you on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> something that and maybe this is what we end with because i'm sure this is pretty long mm. Mm. something that's coming back from what we've been talking about is like with the Borden trains where we say we're not going to put a time limit on it we're not going to say the dog will be better now or then or whenever. We're leaving that up to the dog. We're leaving it up to the dog and their development. Mm -hmm. However, we don't leave it up to the dog. Because right. if a dog comes into the world and they come into our care yes. with behaviors that aren't... Uh, Respectful, respectful of the environment, yeah. uh, safe yeah. for them or for other people. other people or beings. We're going to help them evolve to that quote unquote good dog place. Yeah, that, yes. So the ones that come into the world good we may tweak here and there. And yeah. then the ones that come into the world with more things, we're going to put, it's like we put forth the effort needed. We're going to work tirelessly to help get them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think something that we do that I enjoy is that we're not going to let... I'm not going to leave the dog where they're at. We're not going to, no, we're not going to. Um, have their behavior define who they are as a dog for their life. Mm -hmm. Kind of like I'll, I'll, I'll meet some people, some people and they'll say, I'm just super stubborn or I can't do this. Or I don't like that. Right. And they put these limitations on themselves of who they are through mm -hmm. their behaviors. And I mean, that's totally fine for them. I'm sure I do that at some points in my life. Like, yeah, I mean, my I days. don't even necessarily say it'd be a limitation. It's just a, a trait. Yeah, or an observation. It's like, I am this. And yeah. so it's a trait, you yeah. know? Not necessarily a limit, but yeah, for us, again, this comes back to humans have the power. 
Dogs don't necessarily have the power. So even in our case, when a dog comes to us, we have the power to say, and we do say, we're going to help you evolve and grow out of your insecurities, your fears, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And other people, they'll get dogs like that. And they're like, I'm just going to love you exactly who you are. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. You know? But that's, that is what it is. That human is saying, I'm going to love you for who you are, but now you have to live in the backyard. Right. Because I'm loving you for who you are and you are 90% not okay with 90% of life or right. 100% not okay with most things in life, you know? Right. So- it's a very interesting point. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's a very good. <laughs> but point. the human has the power to yeah. see in the dog what they see, and then what they're either not going to do about it, or what they're going to do about it. Right. And then how they're going to go about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> With using this tool or this tool, or not using any tools, right. or just one tool. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a good point. It's, yeah, it's just what you do with it. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not belittling one or the other because no. you can't, you can't say what. You can you, say. Okay, you can. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, yeah. but it is, I choose not to say or judge the capacity of someone's experience right. or of how, how much they're loving something or someone or some being. Mm -hmm. I can't say that. I right. can't say that I love my dog more than you do right. or you love your kid more than I love my cat. Right. Like it's just, even if it, even if they have behaviors or they don't, yeah. like that baseline um, is kind of universal. Well, then I think it just comes back to, my experience, our experience of you never know where somebody is coming from yeah. in life. You never know where they've been, what they've gone through, what they're going through. And yeah. so probably best not to judge them or do this or that in their direction necessarily because you they're doing the best that they can with what they've got and what yeah. they've been given. And that's the choices that they're making in life. And, you know, screw you for whoever you are for <laughs> pointing the finger at them or right. belittling their experience in life based on your experience. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can end there. Yeah, it's a good point to end at. Well, thank you for listening. Hopefully kind of tied that together nicely. <laughs> we didn't go too far left, didn't, too far right. <laughs> yeah, jump all over the place, up, down, left, right. Um, but yeah, thank you all for joining us, yeah. as always. And may you enjoy, enjoy, and enjoy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.